Hi everyone. Today is Sunday, November 26, and I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving holiday if you celebrate that. Most of us in the U.S. do, and I'm deeply grateful for this podcast community and those of you who are clients of mine and inspirations to me as well, and those of you who are customers and connected with the online store, just the whole collection and community of folks. Thank you for your business and your participation and your engagement. And I'm deeply grateful for your friendship because I really feel as though I'm talking to you when I'm behind the mic. And and I, it's so exciting to me to see when I watch the podcast analytics that the reality transurfing material is just shooting through the roof. And that's so exciting to me because I know people are hungry for that. And it, it feels great because it's been so transformative in my life and continues to be. And the fact that that's striking a chord and all the work we're doing with the imagination and the heart's desires, etc., the Neville Goddard work, is just so exciting to me. And there's just more of that to come in the new year. But I had an inspiration the other day, and that was to create a calendar for 2024 that is not only referencing the moons that we always talk about and the seasonal holidays that we proceed through and celebrate and endeavor to be in rhythm with, but also taking these very radical ideas, radical in that they're radical to our egoic comfort zone, radical ideas about the imagination, how to affect true change, how to prioritize the interior life over the exterior world. I created a calendar for 2024 that is devoted to those concepts, and it's called Radical Being. And I chose that, or it chose me, because really from that sovereign center of beingness, there's no more radical work we could be doing to bless the external world, our own lives and the lives of others. And it's fast in the slow lane. It's fast in the still lane. And it's very exciting. I'm seeing more and more and more. I've, I've heard it, but now I'm metabolizing it, that the beauty about following our heart's desires, training the imagination, engaging with these practices as we have been, is because, yes, we want to experience the heart's desires in the external world reflected back at us. But more importantly, those disciplines are revealing our sovereign selves to us. And there is no greater prize than that. No greater prize than that. Jung often said, the privilege of a lifetime is being who you really are. And that is what he was talking about. The authentic self with a capital S to be that person, that sovereign being in the external human world as well as the human self is the most joyous and profound blessing for all. And I'm seeing that the heart's desires, you know, just like last time when we talked about that martial arts saying, set a goal so high and so big that you have to grow in to the person who can achieve it. We are that being already, and it's just letting the layers go that that keep us from experiencing that. And man, in the time since we have talked, I have been shedding those layers, and that's what I'm here to share with you today. It has been a very busy three weeks in my interior space, and of course, it's paralleling all we're doing with the Grail series, the feminine figures, Today we're talking about Ragnell, and I will post it today. And on the 30th of November, we will end with Guinevere.
and that will conclude our Grail series. But obviously, the the Grail work we're each doing individually, discovering and excavating and revealing ourselves is is ongoing. But if you are interested in this calendar, it's on my website at lauriegreen.net. And I will also link in the show notes a direct link to that, depending on where you listen to your podcast. Sometimes those links work, sometimes they don't. But anyway, you can find it at lauriegreen.net. And it's in the Radical Being section because you can also get um, canvas art of the images I created throughout the year. It's a 12-month calendar. And I will do a special episode in January about how to use the calendar and and we will reference it and the themes. I really endeavored to have it sort of be a story moving through the year. We will have a special podcast that's just setting the year ahead, the tone ahead for how to really engage with it. So if that is of interest to you, I'm really excited about that. I'm really excited about how the art and the images turned out and it's a wonderful gift. It's an easy gift for others. It's definitely a gift for people who are radical in their thinking. So, you know, you might not just give it to everybody on your list, but it could be really exciting for the right recipient. So I wanted to open by saying that. And also, tomorrow is the full moon, the full beaver moon. And I've been enjoying the light of the moon so much the last few nights, and it will be in its full glory tomorrow. So I hope you're enjoying that too. I'm not going to read a poem today just because I'm reading from a lot of texts today, and it's quite interesting and poetic reading in any way, quite mythical. So we're dipping into that beautiful imaginal space, liminal space, with the other readings that we're doing today. So just by way of review of the four feminine figures that we're exploring, we began with Morgan Le Fay, and one of her major gifts, among others, was that she is such a great example of having a foot in both worlds, in the material world, the human world, and then the divine essential self world, the sovereign world, which is our true identity, our true home. And she's a great example of that. And then we moved to Enid last time. And what we're discovering there in the person and the character of Enid is the return to love. So throughout the whole Grail series, if you remember, we've sort of framed it that the Knights of the Round Table and sort of the masculine energy is about doing that mental discipline, that exterior form of discipline to train the imagination, to not react, to come into emotional stillness, etc. But all of that is in service to this beautiful feminine center. And those are the themes upon which we've been building throughout the whole series. And when we discovered Enid last time, we started to go to the center of what all the knightly and courtly devotion is honoring. And in her, if you remember, she came from a family that was experiencing poverty, but she had a sovereign sense of herself. And she was often related to the heart, the stag, H-A-R-T, and she was often related to the alchemical colors of red, white, and black. We talked about that last time. But the question, and broadly, this whole series is about asking the right question, isn't it? Asking the right question, whom does the grail serve? And we're going to be asking more questions today. The beautiful thing, and I know I've emphasized this before in previous podcasts, but it's certainly been my practice even in the last month, is the psyche doesn't need us to have the answers. Just ask the next best question. That is where the magic happens. Ask the deeper, better, fuller question. 
and life responds very quickly. And so the question that Enid was offering was how love is served through through all that she went through, all of the challenges and storylines that she was a part of. How is love served? And we talked about in, in her story that how we experience love really changes depending on which level of consciousness we're in and, and have moved through. And I'm guessing most of us have had several experiences of love increasingly better, I'm sure, because that's the growth arc. But probably your earlier ones weren't that great. <laughs> and and the important thing to realize is, and that's what we're going to be talking about today with the person of Ragnell, is that is not love. Likely what you have experienced thus far, if it was fraught in any way, if it was drama laden in any way, if it was lacking in any way, it may have been a human experience of what we think was love, but it's not love with the capital L. And we started to head into that deep territory of the center, the heart of the grail, mysteries, when we talked about Enid last time. But she's sort of just an entry figure into that. Ragnell really develops that. And then we'll end with Guinevere on the last day of the month and really bring these themes home. And my God, I have been on a journey with this this month, and I'll share some stories with you because it's just absolutely been living me as I'm teaching it to myself and, and sharing with you. So the question that Enid is asking is how love is served. And we see that for a medieval context, she is able to request and receive a love between equals, which is really cool for a medieval context. You know, so she saw herself and, and sensed her sovereignty as, as being equal to anyone. And so her relationship with Eric, who is often narrated as her partner, was one of equals. And so we began this idea with her about going to that feminine heart, which belongs to all of us. Again, this is not man, woman. This is masculine, feminine. And this is what all the disciplines are serving. And so we got a beautiful opening window into that in the person of Enid. We're taking a much deeper dive along those same themes, but a much deeper dive because Ragnell's character is truly transformative. But we have to, you know, if I were to put it in the consciousness area, the levels that we've talked about, I would say the Enid character was in the through me consciousness, heading into the as me consciousness. I would say she was in the level three grace state, heading into the heart, heading into the fourth unity consciousness level. She was in that space. Ragnell is in unity consciousness. Without a doubt, we are in the arena of deep transformation. So all has been leading up to this moment. And the questions that Ragnell is asking or that are centered around her story that are being asked are, what does a woman want? And we have to extend that idea you know, from the text to what does the feminine want? What does the feminine want? And the feminine being sovereign to the masculine, not because the masculine is the man and the woman needs to be over the man, not that, meaning that the beingness, the sovereign center, the archetype we can relate to in our human way of relating that is closest to life itself is feminine in most wisdom traditions. So that's what we're talking about. The feminine and the masculine belong to all of us. So the masculine in service to the feminine, the inner 
being sovereign over the external, the external just simply being a reflection of the belief system of the interiority. Being, being sovereign to doing. So we are deeply in the space of unity consciousness. And what happens when we go there is we have conflicting ideas immediately emerging from our human experience of what love has shown us, love, quote-unquote, and what love, the divine definition of that, capital L, love, really is. And that is what the Ragnall story is about, is really discerning our ideas about what love may have appeared as versus what it really is. And I have had a profound experience of that in the last month. And and I'll get to that here in a minute, but I want to frame it at first in context of the story. And so I'm going to read from Anna Marie Ferguson's synopsis of the story of Ragnell and Gawain, just so that we can situate ourselves in the person of this character. So here is Ragnell's story. Arthur entered an enchanted land that drained all the courage from his heart and strength from his limbs. The ruler of the kingdom thought to play with his prey and agreed to release Arthur from the spell for one year. Within that year, Arthur must find the answer to the riddle, what does a woman most want? If he should fail, he would be condemned to live out his days as a prisoner of the enchanted land. As the king returned to his court, he passed through a forest, where he came across a hideous old woman seated between a holly tree and an oak. The lady wore a dress of scarlet, but despite its full fabric, one could see her deformed figure beneath. Her filthy skin was the color of bark, and her arms and legs were knotted and twisted like the limbs of a weather-worn tree. One eye was black, the other a milky yellow— her gaping mouth and misshapen nose slid to one side of her face, and her hair had the look of lichen. But despite her appearance, the woman was well-spoken and offered to help the king answer the riddle, provided he grant her what she wished. Arthur was stunned by the sight, but agreed. On hearing her request, the king found himself in an impossible situation. The loathly lady wished the handsome Gawain to be her husband. Refusing to ask such a thing of his nephew, the king left the crown and returned to the court. Word of Arthur's predicament reached Gawain, who, thinking to save his king and help the woman, searched the forest. Having found the crone, Gawain assured her that if any of the court dared ridicule her, they would regret it. At Gawain's coaxing, the lady came to the court, where they were wed before a bewildered crowd— Despite the sneering and excitement, Gawain never left her side and remained courteous throughout the evening. After retiring to their bedchamber, Gawain's heart began to wane. He stared into the fire, desperately trying to think how he might avoid the bed without insulting his bride. When he turned to face her, he found not the hideous crone, but a beautiful woman in her place. Ragnall explained to her husband that she was the same woman he had wed earlier that day, and that now he faced a difficult decision. He must choose whether he wished his wife hideous by day and beautiful by night, or beautiful by day and hideous by night. Gawain thought over the question Ragnall had posed, and replied that the choice must be hers, adding that he would be content whatever her decision at once a smile came across Ragnall's face, who then told Gawain that given his response, she could now remain his loving and beautiful wife both day and night, for he had answered the enchanter's riddle, what does a woman desire most? Her own way. So again, we have to exchange woman-man for masculine-feminine, because that's important. These are all psychological components. And what's going on here is 
this incredible transformation when love with a capital L, when the feminine, when the beingness is truly honored. And we, we started to touch on that last time in the story of Enid, but we're going much deeper into that mystery now. And what definitely comes up is to see how we have defined, quote-unquote, love before. Because love with a capital L has very different qualities than probably what most of us have experienced in our human walk. And I just know, speaking from the perspective of being a female in the U.S. culture and around 50 years old. Um, My journey has definitely been, and, and then the family in which I grew up, that I really felt from an early, early age, and this is nothing about my parents. As you all know, they listen to the podcast. These are just the patterns that carry on generationally. And until we make them conscious, it's just what feels familiar. So, you know, no, no harm, no foul. We're all walking each other home, in the words of Ram Dass. But what felt really familiar to me and what I thought was quote-unquote love was completely emptying myself out all the time for others. Far and away, that is what felt like love. And I found myself in several situations over the last month, over this month of November, where I was really aware of the absurdity of that. And I'll tell you my window into it. Um, Mary Morrissey is a wonderful life coach, um, abundance coach, who has a lot of wonderful programs out. You've probably run across her at some point. She's a wonderful human being. And she I've seen this scale before, but she um, had posted a, a scale of the emotions. And of course, the, the numbers are arbitrary. It doesn't matter. But there's a scale of what like low vibration human emotions are and then high vibration ones. And in the context of being in resonance with our heart's desires, it's so essential To be vibrating, meaning thinking and feeling and imagining at the frequency that those things exist. Because then it just all slides into place automatically. It's not about going out and working for it. It's an alignment thing. And I know we've been talking about this, but here we are again, repeating what we're learning. And... What brought it home in a new way for me was she has this this chart that talks about some really low energy vibrational emotions like shame and guilt, fear. Okay, those are pretty low frequency. Anger is higher than that because it kind of makes sense. There's some agency with anger, even though we have to be super careful about how we're using the anger and we can't stay stuck there. But let's just arbitrarily say that, you know, shame and guilt and those sorts of emotions are under 100. And then let's say fear actually on this chart is 100. And then on up from that, courage, neutrality, willingness, acceptance, reason, love, joy, peace, enlightenment. You you know, you're just going off the charts then. And this is expanding with our consciousness. You know, we've talked about the loving self-talk and the, the conversations we have with others in our imagination, being loving and feeling and as a blessing. You know, that is possible at the level of unity consciousness. And so when we find ourselves in the vibration of these emotions that are difficult, like apathy, grief, fear, guilt, shame, you know, those are all below 100. Fear actually is 100. And, you know, again, with this scale. And 100 
when you think about fear, I love this idea, and actually this comes from Mary Morrissey. She says, when you're feeling fear, the beautiful thing is, it means it's that you're at the edge of your boundary, you're the edge of your comfort zone. So you've you've got to give yourself some credit. You would not be feeling fear if you hadn't had the courage to go to your limit. And then the psyche, the part of the psyche that wants to remain in its limitation kicks in and is like, no, <laughs> and, and feels afraid. But, you know, I love this idea from Mary Morrissey about seeing that as really a positive thing. It's a companion. It's going to be there. It means you're at the edge of your comfort zone. You're leaning into the unknown now. Okay, but on it from that, she talked about the resonance of love and think about the heart's desires, just leaping in joy at the thought of experiencing certain things in relationship, in financial flow, in your vocation, in your health, in your ability to travel and in your freedom, those beautiful, beautiful dreams of the heart. She has love calibrated at 500, the feeling of that at 500. And I love that idea because I thought if I'm just enjoying and entertaining those thoughts through the day, then that alignment, it it helped me see how that alignment can be so automatic. You know, it's not about going out and doing it. It's about aligning with the heart's desires that as we know, and as we've been studying, if you desire it, it already exists, or you wouldn't even have a concept of it in your imagination. It already exists. It's already your inner reality. It is actually more real than what's being projected out on the screen of the external world. This is an illusion. And again, doesn't mean we don't, you know, all agree that we need to abide by the laws of gravity and things like that. But knowing where the images are coming from, that they're coming through the filter of our belief system as they're projected out, it's pure white light. It's pure fulfillment from the divine self, but it's coming through the filter of our belief system and our past experiences, and then, you know, coming back at us as a reflection in the external world. So this idea of love and being like a 500 is is fascinating to me. And what happened in my walk this month is that I realized that I'm able to find peace relatively quickly. But it was a peace that I under, I came to understand was me trying to work around love. <laughs> this was such a huge realization for me. She has peace on this scale as being 600. And because I've meditated for so many years and because I do awareness practice and all of that, I can drop into peace. Even if things are chaotic or difficult, I can get peaceful pretty quickly. Okay, so that's a 600. But I was alternating between the 600 piece and then some really intense fear. And I'm like, where is this coming from? What is going on here? So again, asking the next best question that I could. And then I just did a simple subtraction. And if you take 600 minus 100, you get 500. And that's the frequency of love. And I could see that in my endeavoring and in my learning and in my growing, there was a huge part of me that said, I don't want to do the resonance of love because in my human experience, it's been really painful. It's been about me emptying out. It's been about me trying too hard. It's been about me taking on other people's burdens that aren't mine. It's me feeling that there's only going to be a little bit left for me, if at all. Like that has been how my human self has often experienced love, little L, love. 
And that's not because I haven't had moments of wonderful people loving me. We all have. But I could see that an overall familiar pattern for me had been, I must give. I must give. That's what love is. And I'm not giving from a place of fullness. Well, if you've been listening to this podcast in the Grail series, when we're talking about the well, the well, our sovereign center, is completely, effortlessly, infinitely full. That is real love. That is effortlessly overflowing. That is truly giving from love, giving from my fullness, whether that's my time, my energy, my podcast, my resources, whatever. And because of this chart that I explored through the work of Mary Morrissey, I was just stunned that I had been doing a workaround for love. It was just like, okay, I'll just go to peace, which actually vibrates higher than love. But the universe was like, we're not going to let you skip love. You just need a new definition of what it really is. And I was so moved by that. I mean, the tears just came when I realized that the experiences of quote unquote love that I had had up until now, I can drop that. And that that message from deep within that love, real love, would never, would never ask you to give from a place that wasn't already full. And so this is my new discernment now. And this is very much in line with Ragnell's story. Because when we're talking about the feminine or the questions that she's saying, what does a woman want? We're really asking, what does love with a capital L want? And it wants to give from fullness. And so we have this this conflict in the story. And, you know, that can she only be this in the daytime or only be this at night or when there's another way of saying it, when does the external world get to reflect her internal world all the time? Not just in fits and starts, not just sort of here and there. When does it constantly get to be the external beauty reflecting the internal beauty? Because we've all seen really, really, really ugly circumstances in our external lives, whether it's on the geopolitical scale or our personal lives, it can get really ugly. (laughs) And, you know, the theme in so many folk and fairy tales is the ability to look at the quote unquote hag and see through the appearance, see through to the sovereignty, see through to that which is actually creating the image the illusion and having a conversation and a connection with that then changes the whole appearance. And Gawain is very trained in his nightly disciplines and he's able to do that. But even more importantly, at the moment when he is asked to make a decision, he defers to the feminine. He defers to love itself. And that breaks the spell. That breaks the spell. Love in the full sense. Love with the capital L. Anything that we've experienced thus far is just going to give us a half experience of the internal beauty and the external beauty matching up. Love with a capital L, knowing that it's flowing from a place of fullness always, that it is inexhaustible, that that is actually who we are. And we give from that. That is what breaks the spell. And so I have really been embracing the idea 
this month about in any decision um, to to discern, is this my old idea of love or the real idea of love? Because then the real vibration of love, the real resonance of that, that aligns immediately, effortlessly with my heart's desires. And yes, I can still meditate and enjoy peace. And and we'll talk about more on that with Guinevere because there's some really exciting stuff I want to share with you about that. We'll get to that on the last day of the month. But this idea about love and defining it as source defines it as who we really are is really, really important. And so the alchemy that Enid's character is pointing to actually starts to happen in Ragnell's story because she transforms. And then the beauty that is within is also the beauty that is without all the time, all the time. And she and Gawain have a beautiful marriage then because he deferred to love. He deferred to the feminine. And then about a week ago, I got to experience part two of my new definition of love, the, the, the real definition of love, the capital L love. And that is not only am I to always give from a place of fullness and know that that is love, I also have to realize that receiving love, capital L love, is also not how I have experienced it in the past in my human forms, in my human walk. That was working on the old model of depletion. And so the only thing I could get back would be depletion or half efforts or weak sauce. (laughs) And that's no reflection on any person or any situation in and of itself, I was putting out that radar. I was putting out that beacon because I was sourcing myself in small L love, not source love, not reality. I was only basing that on the human condition. And so part two of this is in my awareness just within the last few days And that is, love is immediate. It comes back immediately. Ragnell's transformation is immediate. As soon as he defers to love, as soon as Gawain defers to love, the spell is broken and she transforms right then. Right then. And so let me give you the story about how that happened. My daughter was traveling and I needed to go get her from Charlotte, which is two hours away from the airport. And this was just a couple days ago and right before Thanksgiving. And I've just been like swimming in all this beautiful recalibration about what love is. But I had only discovered the first part of my definition being askew, that being only give from a place of fullness, only give from a place of fullness. And it hadn't occurred to me yet that I was also seeing erroneously of how quickly it will return to me. And so what happened on my way to get my daughter was so alarming. And so let me just tell you what happened. I had to uh, run an errand across town. So I was like 20 minutes from my house, but that was the end of town. I needed to just travel on and go to Charlotte. So no big deal. I ran my errand and I was just going to gas up on that end of town. Well, I had my debit card with me and I was quote unquote supposed to have a $600 deposit that went into my account. And I also had a couple automatic payments that were going to go out of my account. Well, as I go to gas up, I'm overdrawn in my checking account that I have the debit card for clear on the other end of town. And I don't have time to go back home. And this is the one 
you know, way I can pay for it that I have with me. And it's very windy and it was starting to get dark. And, you know, I felt like my daughter's plane was probably flying over my head. (laughs) And I had to get going. I had to get on the road to meet her in time. And I was experiencing the condition and I knew, you know, to release, to surrender all the things that we've talked about a million times. And I was able to do that. But what was coming up for me from my, from my human heart was the universe has let me down. <laughs> and I was bereft for like 10 minutes. I had pulled over at a gas station and I was just beside myself. I was just like, you know, I wasn't sobbing or you know, having an, a breakdown, but I felt this grief and I could not understand why this was happening. Uh, I couldn't understand that in the past few weeks I've had this breakthrough about love and yet here I am with an overdrawn account and, and I can't, I got to get going and I have to pick up my daughter. So I, I texted my son and <laughs> I said, I said, this is so weird. I need gas. Help a sister out. <laughs> and I got, anyway, got on my way. He was happy to help. And um, I just drove most of the way in silence. I didn't listen to any music or anything. I just tried to be open to like, what is the message here? What is the message? And it took me a while. It took me probably into the next day. And then I realized after actually having a conversation with my son, um, and, and you know, he's following along with a lot of the practices we're all doing too, as is my daughter, which I'm deeply grateful for. And, and he said to me, he's like, Mom, you're doing everything that you're supposed to be doing, quote unquote. He's like, the only thing I see is you don't think that you're supposed to receive something back instantly. You think it can just wait and take a long time. And he's like, you deserve to have things instantly. That is the truth. And, and some part of you is, is resisting that. And I thanked him so profoundly for that window into what he could see that I couldn't see right then. And he was right. And I realized that that was part two of my old experiences of love. My old experiences of love based from I'm going to give from a place of depletion means I will get back (laughs) maybe never or, you know, when everybody else is taken care of or when everything else is prioritized and it can take a long time or maybe not come at all. But I was reinforcing that pattern and that was part B. And so to give from a place of fullness, we are always full. We are always full. And so no matter what, everything in the external world is full and it is instant and it is now. And so I had the inhale, but I hadn't had the exhale yet. And so there's two parts there to the reboot on love with a capital L that I discovered and uncovered in my life. You may have had a very different experience of love. Maybe you had the capital L love the whole time and this nuance isn't as impactful for you, but maybe you've had, you know, something worse than I've had. Maybe, you know, love was actual physically abusive or something like that. So, you know, love, quote unquote, one's experience of what that felt familiar as from the human walk. So the invitation is to look at, from Ragnell's story, how are we defining love from the human perspective versus the fullness of source, capital L, love. And to know that we are never asked to be anything but other than our fullness, and to give from our fullness. And in doing so, we're always receiving fullness coming right back at us. And I knew that I had experienced the running out of fuel 
because I will never forget that. You know, it was such an intense moment. And I then, you know, put part B into my new equation of what love is. And ironically, I had to, in the last month, put a new battery in my car. And so that was so symbolic to me of like, oh, here's the big L love. This is the new way I am charging my car. And then to have the gas bit, (laughs) I feel like I have both pieces now. I have a full tank and a new battery. And the car just sort of being like, you know, symbolic of the human, the human aspect of us. It's not the driver. Source is the driver. But this is a well-oiled machine now. This is a responsive, full scenario, a brand new battery, a full tank of gas. And those work beautifully together. So November has been really busy in the inner space for me. And like I say, the, the beautiful realizations I've had that will end up with discussing with the Guinevere story in just a few days, sort of bring this full circle. But I just really want to offer the invitation to ask yourself if it applies to you, if you haven't always had the source definition of love, to ask, what am I defining as love and what is real love? How can I reimagine and experience the feeling of true fullness, of true instant alignment, of true source love. How can I experience that? Remember that Neville Goddard says, you don't get what you want, meaning just because we have this idea of a heart's desire. That's the first part. He says, you get what you believe to be true. You get what you believe to be true. So yes, igniting the imagination about the heart's desires is the first part. But what allows the transformation to happen is to know that love is supreme, that love is full, and that we are always full. And resting in that fullness aligns with the automatic realization of the external reflection of that. And again, there's a beautiful nuance about this process that I will touch on at the end of the month, you know, which is just a few days away, because it was just huge for me. There was one little piece there that that I was trying too hard on, and, and we'll get to that in just a few days because that's really important So love has been teaching me all month long and showing up for me in some really uncomfortable and beautiful ways. And I have to say, um, I've talked a lot about dreams in the past, and I continue to be fascinated by how the psyche's wisdom expresses itself in my dream life. And my work with dreams is evolving as my consciousness is blossoming. And what I've noticed of late is that, in fact, it happened last night, I had a really important realization, which I'll share with you in next podcast, that was this nuance of where I was still trying too hard in one area. And I got to the root of that. And I had this beautiful experience of peace. Again, I'll share those details next podcast. And just like felt in the presence of grace all day yesterday, just felt like I was in that bathed in that beautiful golden light that comes twice a day, you know, in the external world when the sun rises and sets. And it was just this feeling of peace and almost rapture, but it was quiet and it was still. And and it was because of this other realization that I'll share soon But then I noticed last night that my dream was about a tornado that was chasing me and there were all these sirens going off. And I wasn't particularly scared in the dream, but wherever I went, that tornado was right behind me. And I've come to see that that's really 
destabling to the ego side of us when we have a major breakthrough like that about our true identity. And we're not getting in our own way anymore. That's really destabilizing to the ego. And so, you know what? That's okay. I had a dream about a tornado chasing me. That part of my psyche is like (laughs) all hands on deck. You know, we're going to throw sand in the gears here. She's not going to go beyond the, the known into the unknown on this one. And it just is what it is. You know, like Mary Morrissey says, fear is a companion on this journey as we continue to go beyond our boundary, beyond our boundary, beyond our boundary. The essential self has no boundaries. And I mean that in the really positive way. It is infinite. And the ego, ironically, is actually going to get everything it wants to. It's going to have these beautiful experiences that are our heart's desires. And so we just offer patience and love to that part of our nature and let it ride shotgun, but not be in the driver's seat. And I just saw all the tornadoes going off in my psyche last night as just a natural response to me hitting some really fertile ground, really solid, fertile ground. And we'll continue this conversation again, like I said, with the Guinevere wrap up that that we'll talk about next time. But just know that this Ragnell story is so deeply in the transformative process. And it, it is really tied to how am I defining love? And how am I letting universal love, source love, be the priority? So let's situate this as we have with those feminine figures of the psyche and those feminine mysteries of the well, like we've done with Morgan and Enid. So remembering the psychological places that the feminine often occupies, we have the human mother, which again is just the physical, biological mother. The mother complex, meaning the part of us that wants to be dependent and rely on another figure like the mother and we have to come into emotional maturity about that and provide for ourselves return to source not try to be mothered by the external world we have the mother archetype which is all the bounty all all the beauty all the source we have the fair maiden which is often like the muse And we've talked about that. The wife or partner, again, the human aspect of that. And then Sophia, the goddess, the goddess or feminine face of God. So looking at where love may have played a role, either a human idea of love that wasn't the full experience of what source love is in any of those categories, I think is a really fruitful form of questioning. And again, we all might have a slightly different journey to realizing source love because some of us may have received different versions of it or or more toxic versions of the non-real love. So coming to terms with that is really fruitful work, and that's the invitation. And then now that we can look at the source itself, the well, the the space in us that has never known anything but fullness and joy and completion and wholeness, remember we related to that in terms of the mystery, the hospitality, abundance, and justice, I think it's all self-explanatory at this point. Those qualities of the mystery, of, of piercing into the mystery of source as a definition for love, as opposed to any of the human 
conditions we've experienced that is effortlessly giving to us in the form of abundance and justice. We are creating our own abundance and justice by dwelling there. And so we see how these feminine qualities that predate the grail myths, even though the grail myths and legends and all those fantastic stories and, and, you know, all the pursuits and the nightly adventures, you know, those have captured our imaginations. And all of that is an important aspect of it. But the feminine seat of all of this is the grail. And that is me. And that is you. So it's really exciting how, in my estimation, this is becoming very self-evident the more deeply we go into these feminine figures. It's revealing itself and it's revealing us. It's revealing us in our true identities. So to conclude today, I want to read from Kathleen and John Matthews' text, Ladies of the Lake, on how they perceive Ragnell and, and her contribution. So this is reading from the Matthews text. Ragnell is first and foremost an agent of transformation. Her presence transforms us to view what is despised as of worth. Despite her ugly appearance, Ragnell never despises herself. This is important in today's society, which views as ugly many female traits. It also encourages women to disown their own femininity, thus disempowering many from the source of their greatest strength. Ragnell stands at midwinter, awaiting the transformation that will take her out of the stasis of the dead time into burgeoning spring. So how beautiful that we are in that moment in the Northern Hemisphere right now. We are very much in harmony with this and embracing love and defining it as source defines it experiencing the fullness, always the immediacy of the fullness is assuring us of our burgeoning spring. So I will talk with you soon. Thank you for your love and your attention. And until next time, take good care.
Hi, everyone. If you're enjoying this podcast, remember to hit subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And if my work is nourishing your heart and imagination, consider supporting the Apothecary Podcast. Just follow the links to make a contribution. And for the full scope of my projects and offerings, including my weekly newsletter, visit LoriGreen.net.